0: So we're continuing with Sermon on the Mount. We've been, we've been working through this for a bit. And um, today, we are, uh, we're actually getting to the end of the, the series, the end of Jesus' sermon uh, that, that he's preparing. We know this is, as Jesus' great sermon, um, probably his most impactful one. It's recorded in multiple Gospels, right? And, and as, we, as we've been digging in, we've been seeing that, that what Jesus has been about— in this sermon has been to reorient the hearts of the people back to God, right? Because they had strayed away. They needed, basically, they needed revival and they needed reformation. And so Jesus has been saying things like, hey, you heard this was said, but this is the heart of the gospel." This is the heart of the law. You've heard it said this way, but this is the way that God always intended you to think about it and respond. You, you've heard the Pharisees teach you this, but this was God's intention for you, and it's deeper and richer, and it's more than you thought it was. And this is the tradition of how you act and how you behave and how you respond. But this, this is what God wants you to do when you interact with other people, and he's been offering that reframe that reformation for us as we've worked through this. And so today as we continue, uh, we continue to look at the heart and how a heart that's dedicated to God will pour out behavior that is decidedly Christian. A heart that's not dedicated to God can't do that. Right? It doesn't mean that it's always wicked and bad, right? but it's not decidedly Christian. But when your heart is dedicated to God, when you're right with God, when you've made yourself obedient to him, in the core of you, then what will pour forth from you is decidedly Christian behavior that God will honor and respond to. So that's what we're, we're de- dealing with here. And, and you'll remember last week that, that what Jesus was talking about is he talked about judgment. And he talked about how quickly and how easily we judge one another. And that if you are a person who finds yourself being judgmental, right, then that judgmentalism is an indicator that your heart's not quite right. Now, we have sound sober-minded judgment about things, and we're supposed to, but that's a far cry from a spirit that's judgmental. This week, he's going he's gonna to talk about the other side of that. The other side of that is love. Now, here, here's the problem. Being not judgmental is good, right? Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged. And the idea is not that, oh, well, you can't have any sober judgment. Of course you judge, but being judgmental is wrong. But the problem is sometimes we think, well, if I'm not judgmental, then I'm good. But a lack of judgment doesn't equal love. A lack of judgment, right, refusing to be judgmental is good, but that's not what it looks like to be loving and gracious and Christian in your behavior. That's just the negative side of it. It's just leave that out, but that's not all the way. You can't claim to be loving simply because you're not being a judgmental person jerkish kind of a person now don't be jerky don't do it but that's not love at best here's what that is when I just refuse to be engaged right I'm like okay well, it's fine I, I won't be judgmental I'll just ignore you I'll just stay away from, I'll just leave you out of it what happens when I do that is I, I, I'm actually something that's problematic and, and, and it plagues too many Christians it's apathetic When you have apathy, it means you simply just don't care about you, about the other person, about the scenario. When you have apathy, you just aren't interested in being involved with that person, with their problem, with with the things they've got going on in their life. When you have apathy, you just don't care about them at all. Listen to me. Being apathetic is decidedly unchristian. And unfortunately for most Christians, they've decided that apathy is their best response to being non-judgmental. Fine. I'm not going to be judgmental. So I'm just not going to care. Am I the only one hearing that? Okay. If somebody else hears it that knows how to fix it, if not, it's cool. Sometimes I feel like I should echo because what I have to say is so good. (laughs) You should hear it three times, times, times. Apathy can't work. I want you to, the reason we have to drill down on this is because this is just decidedly what happens in our culture. Either we get way intensely involved in something, right? We get way intensely involved. And when we get way intensely involved, too often, not always, but too often that turns into, turns into arguing and judgmental behavior and problems. And we talked about some of those things last week, but the other side of that from far too many Christians is I just won't care. I just won't let it affect me. I just won't even get involved. I just won't worry about it at all. And apathy can't work either. And so there's this place where we have to get to, and this is understanding what Jesus means when he says that we are to love one another. What does that really look like? See, this is not a new command, right? Um, The command to love one another exists all the way in the Old Testament, but Jesus is teaching it as something new. Look what he says here in John. I'm going to turn that on. And Philip's going to press a button. And then it's going to work. I promise this isn't our first Sunday. (laughs) I know it probably feels like it right now, but it's not. We've done this before. Anyway, in John, here it says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I loved you. There's no greater love than to lay one's life down for one's friends. So this is Jesus saying, look, look, apathy doesn't work, but I'm telling you, you're actually supposed to love each other. You're supposed to love each other in a significant kind of a way. You're supposed to love each other in a way where you are actually willing to give up everything for the sake of someone else. That's what love looks like. You're like, well, I don't really love a lot of people that way. And I know, right? Like, like this, is, this is a hard teaching. This is what he means when he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. It's not that love is new, but he's saying, I want you to understand it at the core, what it was always supposed to be, right? Love was never supposed to be this nice, fun feeling. It's great when that exists, but love is this behavior. 1 Corinthians 13, the seminal chapter in all of scripture On love. We read it at weddings, and that's weird. Like, it's fine, I get it. But it's meant to be this love that we have for one another in the church. What does that love look like? Well, that love is full of action. It's not just emotional, it's not just good feelings, but it's behavioral. Love is patient, it's kind doesn't hold grudges, but instead it's full of grace and hope, right? It doesn't keep record of wrongs, but it's full of trust. This is the love that Jesus is talking about. He says, so now I'm giving you this new commandment, right? This new understanding, love each other. And he says later, the way that I loved you, and he's about to go die for them. And he says, that's real love is being able to behaviorally put yourself in that position for somebody else. And then he says this thing, right? Your love for one another will actually prove to the world that you belong to Jesus. This is why this is so important. Your love actually proves that you are Jesus' disciples. Over here you have judgmentalism. All that proves is that your heart is far from God when you are judgmental. And remember, that doesn't mean fair, sober, sound-minded judgment. That means a spirit of self-righteousness and when you judge, that proves that you are far from God. But when you love well, that proves that you belong to Jesus. So this is, this is the teaching that he's giving us as he's starting to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount. Talked last week about judgmentalism, and this week he talks about love. And, and he's going to end it with this thing that we, we... It's actually the one Bible verse we get to talk about in elementary schools all the time. Um, because I don't think most people know that it comes from the Bible. Instead, we, we, we stop saying, oh, Jesus said this, and we just call it the golden rule. Treat people the way that you want them to treat you, right? When we teach kids that, really what we're doing is we're teaching Jesus's words. Um, and, and so we're going to end this passage with that in verse 12 of Matthew 7. We're going to get to this point where he says, treat people the way that you want them to treat you. And he gives us that as an operational definition of what it means to love someone. What that means to love someone. But first he gives us this, uh, he's going to give us a little reminder about how he loves us as a catalyst. Remember he says, love like I've loved you. This is the new commandment. Love people the same way that I've loved you. So let's get into it. Hands down, this is our number one tool. It's our most effective weapon in warfare and kingdom battle and bringing people to the gospel is love. So here's what he says. Keep on asking. Jesus is saying, now keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find what you're seeking. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks the door will be opened. And so uh, right, right, right here we have this this little... Um, it's almost like an interlude. If you're following along in the whole Sermon on the Mount, you're like, well, this isn't really about loving other people, but it is. It, it's sandwiched, right? He says, don't be judgmental, right? That's decidedly unchristian. Don't be judgmental, okay? And then he's going to say, so, so love people by treating them the way that you want them to treat you. And then in the middle, he has this little thing on prayer, right? So it feels like it's a side note, but it's really not. What this is, is promise and proof, He's saying, look, you can do this, right? I want you to love people the way that I love you. Now listen to how much I love you. Listen to what I've done for you, what I will do for you. So he says, keep on asking. He's like, "You, you know how much I love you. You know how much I care for you. You know what God will do for you. Keep on asking. Because when you keep on asking, God will answer you. And when you keep on seeking God will bless you with finding what you're looking for. Keep knocking on the door because God will open it for you. Because when you ask, you receive. When you you seek, you find. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And so we read this chunk of scripture, and this is God saying, look, I love you. And here are the promises that I'll make for you. Now, right away, some of you, need me to to slow you down. Because you're already thinking about that one time you asked God for that one thing and he didn't give it to you. Right? You're like, Matt, I've been knocking on that door for like six years and it ain't opened yet. And I've been looking, I've been seeking, and I haven't found quite yet. And so I, I get that. And we'll talk about that in a minute, right? We'll talk about why sometimes that doesn't work exactly the way we want it to. But make no mistake, the promise is really clear. Whatever you're praying for, do not quit. And we'll talk about how to judge those prayers and how to test those prayers in a minute. But but first things first, this is the promise that Jesus is making. God loves you so much. God is pouring himself out for you. Whatever you are praying for, do not stop. Keep on asking because when you ask you'll get your answer keep on seeking because when you seek you will eventually find and keep on knocking because when you knock the door will be opened he's basically saying do not stop so here's my question for you before we go any anywhere further we're just going to pause here for a second and i'm just going to ask you what are you praying for I mean, I don't, I don't know your life, at least not all of you. Some of you, I know what you're praying for, but some of you, I, I don't know what you're praying for. But what are you praying for? Because God says, don't stop. Don't stop. Is it for your kids? Can I just say this? I hope it's for your kids. Parents, if you're not praying for your kids, then with all due pastoral respect, you're doing it wrong. Is it for your grandkids? I know you're thinking, Matt, which one do I pray for, my kids or my grandkids? If you've got both, both of them. Pray extra long, right? By the time you get grandkids, you've got less to do. (laughs) The next time your kids call you and we're like, hey, can you watch the kids today? Can you watch the grandkids? You're like, no, I'm busy praying for them. (laughs) They can't come over. It might be counterproductive. I don't know. I don't have grandkids yet, so I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know if that's how it works or not. But but if you're not praying for them, is it your spouse? To your marriage? For your coworker that doesn't know Jesus? Oh, for the love of God, please tell me. Please tell me that it's your government. Good, bad, or otherwise, man, they need your prayers. They got a lot on the table. For your enemies? Because Jesus told us already in the Sermon on the Mount, Pray for your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. You praying for them? Are you praying for your public schools? Are you praying to let go of the sin that you're harboring? I have no idea what you're praying for, right? But if the answer is nothing much, then you're doing it wrong. See, Jesus says this with the expectation that you are actually asking and you are seeking and you're knocking, right? And and it's not this idea that you're asking and seeking and knocking for something bigger and better. Right, The idea is that you're asking and you're seeking and you're knocking for the wisdom that God provides and the provision that God provides. and, And that what he wants done in your life will be done in your life. What he wants done in your marriage will be done in your marriage. You're asking him that what he wants done with your children will be done with your children. That what he wants to happen in your community will come to fruition in your community. These are the things that he's saying. And he says, look, just don't stop. Keep asking. And unfortunately, too many of us, we either are praying for the wrong things or we just aren't praying for things. We've gotten really good at grace. Thanks for the food, God. We've gotten really good at praying maybe when somebody's in the hospital. We've gotten really good at the words, I'll pray for you. Or I'll pray about that. But really ask yourself, when was the last time you said, I'll pray for you? And then you're like, you know what? Let's just pray together right now. You're like, I'll pray about that. And then you actually prayed about that. I mean, these are things that we're actually supposed to be doing. And Jesus says, God loves you this much. He's providing this for you. So I got some things up here. You can come get them now if you want. These are just examples of things that we have in the church. Um, They're either at the resource tables in the back. We've got prayer cards on the corner, but I just brought them and set them here. Praying for the lost. Here are ways to pray for people in authority. Here are spiritual blessings to pray for your children. Prayers for public schools. Praying specifically for your prodigals. That is people in your life that have walked away from your faith and you are desperately praying that God will draw them back. And, and this is more about praying for your children or your grandchildren. They're, I mean, they're free. We have them here. Take them. But here, here's the thing, right? God says, when you ask, I'll answer. When you seek, you'll find. When you knock, the door will be opened. And, and most importantly, what we're asking for is we're asking for wisdom. James 1:5 says if you need wisdom ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Ask. And he'll answer with wisdom. Seek and he will give you wisdom. Knock and he will open the door and you will have wisdom. Wisdom is fleeting in our culture. Real wisdom. There is plenty of earthly wisdom. There is plenty of worldly wisdom. There is plenty of cultural wisdom. But God will give you his wisdom if you ask. I talk to people all the time and and they say to me, I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. And I'll ask the question and I get it. If it's annoyed you before, I'm sorry, because it sounds trite. It really does sound trite. And it really does sound placating, and it really does sound just like a Christian thing that we say, but it really does have value when they say, I just don't know what to do. And I ask, have you prayed? Have you prayed? And unfortunately, sometimes I say it in in, in not the best way. And people get irritated. But, but here's what I'm really saying when I say, have you prayed? The reason I'm asking the question, have you prayed? Because this is the promise that God makes you. When you don't have wisdom for something, God says, I want to give you wisdom. Just ask. And I will give it without rebuking. Ask for it. Seek it. Knock. And he says, I'll give it to you. I don't, again, I don't know what you're dealing with. But this is how much God loves you. This is the God of the universe who created and sustains all things. And he holds it together by the sheer might of his will. Nothing exists that God didn't create. Nothing functions because that God isn't allowing to function. All of this God is holding together because he desires to do so. And he says, listen, I have divine wisdom for you if you would just ask. You just look for it. I've got it for you. Just knock and I'll tell you. You don't know what to do? That's okay. And you're like, well, Matt, we should know what to do because we read the Bible. The Bible is awesome, the Bible is the living word of God. But, but here's the reality of the Bible you can't understand it without God. Right? The Bible is a limitless storehouse of divine truth that God has given us. It is living and active and a lifetime of the most faithful, diligent study will never exhaust everything that God gives you in his word. But here's the reality. You can't get it apart from him. I think Pastor Dave and I were talking about it this this week. Maybe it was in the podcast somewhere. But I remember him saying that he knows plenty of people that have read the Bible and know the Bible better than he does that don't know Jesus. They know the words of the Bible. They know what it says. But they don't know Jesus. They, They don't have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And so what I would say is that, yes, while this Bible has wisdom, they're missing it. The Bible is God's word to us. It's a wonderful gift, but we need him to understand it. We need him to discern it. We need him to put it into practice. God gives enough truth for us to be responsible, but there's enough mystery that that we need to be dependent on him always. Always. So my encouragement to you uh, is Jesus' encouragement to you. He's like, this is how much God loves you. Just ask. Just pray. Just knock. Diligently. Intentionally. All right, and, and it's not a free pass, right? If you're like, but Matt, I ask all the time and, and God doesn't answer me. Well, There's a couple of things. One is, first of all, this is for believers. Jesus is talking to his followers, right? Now, is God gracious to sometimes answer the prayers of people that don't believe? Yes. Sometimes that is one of the ways that he is drawing them to himself, right? You've heard the stories, right? There are people that will, they're not following Jesus. They don't really believe in Jesus, but they will say, God, if you're real, I need your help. Oftentimes we may hear about things where we see God injecting himself, answering prayers, doing something. Why? Why? Well, because that's a way that God is showing himself as real and personal and drawing them to him. But God doesn't promise to answer the prayers of unbelievers. He's never promised. In all of his word, God never promises to answer the prayers of unbelievers. Two, these promises are for people living in obedience to God. First John says, and we will receive from him whatever we ask right? Whatever you ask in prayer, whatever you're asking God, you will receive. Why? Because we obey him and do the things that please him. If you are living in active disobedience to God, right, you are in no position to come to God and say, I've been asking and you haven't answered. If you are living in active disobedience to God, you can't rightly say to him, I've been seeking, but I can't find it. If you're living in active disobedience, you're like, God, why aren't you answering opening the door? Because if you're living in disobedience, it's awfully presumptuous to assume that God is going to do what you want. These promises are for people with right motives. James says, and when you ask, you don't receive what you ask for. You don't get it because your motives are wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. It says you're only asking for things that, that you can spend and you can have and that are only for your benefit. But you're not asking for God's kingdom and God's glory. And finally, the, these are for people that are submissive to God's will. We are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. I come back to this list. I don't know what you're praying for, but if you're praying for the lost, I'm confident that that pleases him. When you're praying for people in authority, Bible tells us to play for our, 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 our government leaders. And when you're doing that, I'm confident that that is in obedience and submission to him. When you're praying blessings for your children and grandchildren, We know that that's God's heart. When I'm praying for for kids in schools, teachers and and administrators in public schools, uh, to be able to do what God's put them there to do, I'm confident that that's in his will. When you're praying that your prodigals will come home and will return to the truth that they were taught, I promise you that is within God's will. Right? Sometimes we think, well, God's not answering my prayers. Sometimes we need to take a look at what we're praying for and how we're praying. And we also need to get comfortable with this idea of perseverance. Because what God doesn't put on that promise is a clock. God does not say that, hey, by the end of the day on Friday, I will answer you. God doesn't say, if you knock, I will make sure the door gets opened right away. God doesn't say, if you seek, I will make sure that you find it this morning. But there's perseverance at play here. But don't quit. This is how much God loves you, and these are the promises that he has for you. And then uh, in in the next verses here, he gives us proof of this promise he says you parents if your children ask you for a loaf of bread would you really give them a stone instead or if they ask you for a fish do you really give them a snake luke if you read luke's account um he adds uh, that jesus shared another example if they ask for an egg would you really give them a scorpion Right, his point is, of course you wouldn't do that, right? Of course you wouldn't do that. You parents, right? If your kids asked you for something good, you would not give them something bad instead. You wouldn't give them something hurtful. You wouldn't give them something dangerous. If they ask you, right, your job as a parent is to to provide for and protect and help your children. If they asked you for this help, you would not scorn them and you would not do something to intentionally harm them instead. Now, some of you are thinking, I know some adults that might do that. Unfortunately, some of you might be thinking, I had one of those parents that instead of protecting me and helping me, they hurt me. And here's what I would say is, is that that actually goes along with the thrust of what God is saying here. Because what God is saying is if that happened, we all would recognize that as evil. Because we parents, right, we inherently know what it means to protect and give good gifts to our children. We're not perfect. He says we inherently know that. Of course we wouldn't do harm to them. And if we wouldn't do harm to them, this is his point, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? See, this, is, this is Jesus saying, look, as parents, we know that we want to give good things to our kids and protect them. We know that, right? We know that if it's good for them to have it, we want them to have it. We know that if it's dangerous for them to have, that, we, that, that we're going to be smarter than them. And we're going to be an authority and we're going to protect them from that. You as parents inherently know this and you parents, he says, are sinful. Now that doesn't mean that you're evil parents. What it means is that you're a product of the fall. When he says sinful, what he means is that you are inherently broke. And I know when I say that it drives some of you nuts. You're like the message of Christianity is you suck. That's actually not the message of Christianity. I got that email once, right? Like, stop telling us that we're bad. (laughs) Stop being human, I guess. I don't know, right? Like, like this. He's not saying you're you're unethical, terrible, awful people. What he's saying is your heart is wrong, and it was wrong by nature of the way that you were born. You're you're just. Remember, we've used this analogy before. You're a square and you should be a circle. You just don't fit the way God designed you to fit. Because you're off, you you can't do things the way that God desires you to do them. You need a new heart. That's what salvation is, right? I'm dead to the old self. I'm alive to the new self. I'm born again. The Holy Spirit now lives in me and now I have a new way of being. He says, but, but you parents, you, it's wrong, right? It's not the way it should be. But even you know that you want to do good for people. Even you know that you want to pour yourselves out for the sake of your kids. Yes, you don't have the same heart that you were supposed to have because of the sin in the world and because you're born in sin and because all of this, the fall happened. But, but even you know this. And if you know this, how much more can you trust the God of the universe to give you good things? to give good gifts to those who ask him. So here's the thing. God is basically saying, do you not see, do you not see how much God loves you? And what's the command? Love people the way that I've loved you. And you're like, okay, well, Matt, how practically am I supposed to love people like this? I can't give them everything they ask for. I can't open every door they're trying to knock, right? I can't. I can't fix all of their problems. I can't help them find everything they've lost. Man, I can't even help my kids find their shoes. Travis is umpiring baseball these days, and and he has one. Actually, I think he has two now. I made him go buy another one. But he had the all-important clicker. You can't umpire without a clicker. And he's like, I know that my game starts in 15 minutes, and I should be there already. But I'm just now starting to think about, do you know where I put my clicker? I can't even help him find his clicker in his car, by the way, where it should have been. So good for him. Right. But, but how am I supposed to help other people? How are we supposed to love this way? We know that judgment is wrong. This is, this is the whole context. If we look at it, I mean, we're taking it apart week by week, but if we look at it together, judgment is no good. An attitude of judgmentalism is problematic, right? Here we see, okay, wait a minute. I'm supposed to love. Here's how God loves me. And he says, love people like that. Now I'm in this place where I'm like, okay, but how? But what do I do? And he says, well, here's how it works. Do to others, whatever you would have them do to you. That's the essence of all that's taught in the law and the prophets, all that's taught in the old Testament. Uh, Jesus sums it up this way in Matthew 22, love God and love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do to people what you want them to do to you. And listen to me. While we may teach that in preschool, that is something that is decidedly Christian. That philosophy, that command exists nowhere else outside of the Christian faith. Because nowhere else do we have the selflessness, the selflessness to say that I will treat you like I wish you were treating me. Because here's the thing that Jesus isn't saying. He's not saying treat others based on how you expect them to treat you. Because if I treated people the way I expected them to treat me, some people I would treat well, some people I wouldn't because I expect some people to treat me well and I expect others to be hurtful and mean and harsh. He's not saying treat people how you think they're going to treat you, right? How you think they should treat, well, I think they should be nice to me, so I'll be nice to them. That's not what he's saying. And he's not even saying, treat them the way they've treated you in the past. Right? Well, they've been mean to me, so I'll be mean back. But I didn't start it, they did. Or They've been nice to me, so I'll be nice to them. Because, you know, they started it and I should, I should keep it going. No, what Jesus says is, treat people the way that you want them to treat you, regardless. Regardless of what they're going to do that's the last command he gives in this. He's like, so, so here's the deal. Don't be judgmental because judgmental shows that you're not from God. But that's not enough. You can't just be apathetic and ignore them. You have to do something. You have to love them. Here's, God says, here's how I love you. And so I want you to love them in that same way. And we're like, well, what does that look like? And Jesus says, here's what it looks like. Treat them the way that you want them to treat you. This is how this all plays together. Now, the only way we can do that is through God's provision. Romans five five says this, And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, but look at this here. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. You're like, Matt, I really am rubbed the wrong way by people. I don't know. Like, like I... How am I supposed to love people this way? Well, here's the deal. You don't have to on your own. Because as a Christian, if you are a Christian, if you have surrendered to Jesus Christ, if you've laid your sin at the foot of the cross, if he has made you new and you've turned your life over to him, then what happens is your heart has been filled by the Holy Spirit, right? And what, with the love of God, he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You don't have to do this on your own, but you do have to do it. Okay, so that's, that's the text, right? That's, that's those verses that talk about God's promises to us, the proof of those promises, and that, look, if, if we know how to do this for our own kids and our families, then certainly we can trust God to do it for us. And, and if God loves us this way, and we're supposed to love people in turn, what does that look like? Well, it looks like Treating people the way we want them to treat us. And in our community, right now, we have some real tangible opportunities to figure this out in real life. If you are unaware of some of the things that are happening in our community with um, libraries and city councils and petitions and all kinds of things, then consider yourself blissfully ignorant. And that's not a bad thing in this regard. But I think most of us are aware of some things that, that we have going on in our community. And, and part of the problem is, for Christians, all too often, people speak for us. And they assume intention on our behalf. And usually they're wrong. They're judgmental. All right? And that's fine. We're not surprised by that. We're not surprised when the world is judgmental. Remember, we've said this before. Earlier in this series, I think I I even put the slide on the screen that basically said, look, the world will not love you for being a Christian. At best, you will be tolerated with suspicion. At worst, you will be persecuted. And we have that happening right now. Because we have some people in our community that have said, hey, wait, time out, right? In graciousness... Right, they, they've spoken in graciousness. We're not sure. We're not sure that that we love the agenda um, that's being pushed at our local library. Okay, and that's a fair conversation to have. Doesn't mean the library has to agree, but to have the conversation. Um, unfortunately, what that's come out as is people are bigoted, narrow-minded, um, religious fanatics who are trying to control everybody. That's that's the perception that exists. And that puts us in an awful, uncomfortable position. How do we respond? What do we do? Right? Because apathy doesn't work. Apathy is not a Christian response. Judgmentalism doesn't work because Jesus says that's really not a good response. Sober-minded judgment that's mixed with love is what Jesus has very clearly called us to do over these past few weeks. Judgment that's sober-minded and fair, that can express itself in a way that treats people the way that I wish they would treat me. This is the part of Christianity, listen, listen really carefully to me, please, especially before you speak in the name of Jesus. This is the part of Christianity that is really messy. Grace can be really messy. To live this place where we're full of grace and full of truth can be really messy. And unfortunately, people that aren't Christians, they aren't intending to live there. That's not what their goal is. And that's okay. We'll never be mad at at people that aren't Christians for acting like they're not Christians. We're never mad at them for acting like they're not Christians. They're not our enemy, they're our mission. But we do have to be able to respond in a way that's fair, sober minded, judgment, but that is also filled with love. And you're going to be like, okay, Matt, what's the answer? I don't have it for you. But I'm going to say that pastor thing that's going to drive you nuts. Pray for wisdom. Because God will give it to you. Ask for it. And he will answer you. Seek for it. And he will show you where it is. Knock. And he'll open that door. I can't tell you what you should or shouldn't do. And how you should or shouldn't respond. Or where you should or shouldn't send letters. Or all those kinds of things. Or what meetings you should go to. Or what signs you should put in your yard. I can't tell you any of that stuff. What I can tell you is that you are to be non-judgmental, and that everything you do should be sober-minded and fair and that you are to love people the way that you want... Um, I'm sorry, you are to love people by treating them the way that you want them to treat you. And I can empathize with you that, that grace is messy. And, and this is a hard thing to figure out. And I can tell you with certainty that if you ask God for wisdom, that he will grant it. And please, don't be surprised when people are unhappy with you because you love and honor God and do the things that he puts forth in his word. That is not an indicator that you're doing it wrong. Satan sucks. And this culture that we live in is very good at making us sound with a couple of short phrases that you might see written on the sidewalk when you walked in is very good at making us sound hard-hearted and bigoted. But we know better. We know better. We know what God's word says. We know the tension of messy grace that we have to live in. And we know that God will give us wisdom and so this is where we live and this is what we do. So, I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to practically ask you to go love people well. To practice sober, fair-minded judgment. to, to, To ask God to help you quash the spirit of judgmentalism that might be in you. And to figure out what it means to love people in this context while also honoring and glorifying the God of the universe. And I'll offer this to you as well if you're curious, maybe you didn't see them and you'll see them when you go out. I mean, I don't, I have no idea what climate change has to do with any of this. This isn't a conversation we've been having, but it was just taken off some talking points, I think. Um, but there are two other statements that are out there that you might be curious about. You're like, well, why are these bad? They're not bad statements, um, but they, they imply something that, that's meant to be pokey and hard to get along with. And I would love to talk to you about them. If you've got a question like, wait a minute, what's, what's this statement? What's this sentence? And why, why do we have a problem with that? We don't. But, but why do they think we do? And what does it mean? And how do we respond? There's one that says love is love. Listen, if you want to know, like, okay, let's talk about that. I'm going to sit up here for a few minutes and you come, you talk to me about what that is. And there's another one that says women's rights are human rights. Because on the surface, you're like, well, of course they are. Right. If you want to talk about that, then let's come and talk about it and we can, we can have that dialogue because I don't want to leave you in the dark and I, I want to help you understand what God has to say about these things. But more importantly, I want you to pray for wisdom. I want you to be sober minded and I want you to live in grace and walk in grace. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good to us. In your word, you've laid these things out for us. You've, you've told us, you've shared with us what it is that we're supposed to do, how it is that we're supposed to pray. You've promised God to meet our needs. You've promised to answer our prayers when we, when, when we um, give them in a way that honors you. Help us to walk in obedience, God. Help us to walk in obedience and submission so that we know that the things that we are praying for are in your will and that your answers will be yes. Yes. God, give us perseverance and stick-to-itiveness where we are praying but we aren't seeing answers. Help us to not grow weary but to continue to ask and to put them in front of you. God, help us to walk in love. Your word tells us, this Sermon on the Mount tells us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, God, it tells us that we're supposed to treat people the way that we want them to treat us, that that's what it means to love people in your name. So God, help us to do that well. Give us wisdom to navigate these tensions. Father, we love you, we praise you, and and we just give you all glory. We pray in your son's name. Amen.